is the figures which the Honourable uh, Lady is putting forward. It is not right to say that we are taking money out of the pockets of women. We have put forward a spring statement and a financial package that is looking after the interests of everyone in this country because we look after people irrespective of their sex or gender, uh, their race, and we look at uh, people based on socio-economic characteristics in particular and those who are most vulnerable or disadvantaged. Dr Luke Evans. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I have been fighting hard to keep body image up the agenda. The Advertising Standards Authority have closed their for evidence. The Health Select Committee has started an inquiry into this, and the online harms bill has the chance to address body image. That being said, what action has my right honourable friend taken following the Women and Equality Select Committee report changing the perfect picture and inquiry into body image? Mr Speaker, I thank my honourable friend for his continued work on this important issue. As we all know, poor body image can affect lifestyle choices, physical and mental health, and is associated with lower confidence and lower aspirations. So we've been taking steps to ensure young people have the skills to keep themselves safe through our work on media literacy and understanding that the online environment is not always reflective of reality. Jill Furness. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Hermanoplasty and so-called virginity testing are disgraceful forms of abuse against women and girls. I was therefore pleased when the Government committed earlier this year to banning them. Will the Minister update the House on when this legislation will be introduced so that women and girls are protected from these inhumane practices? Um, certainly, the Government is committed to safeguarding women and girls, which is why on the 18th of November 2021 we tabled an amendment to the Health and Care Bill to ban virginity testing, which passed unopposed in the House of Commons. Cheryl Murray. Thank you, Mr Speaker. There is no doubt that our first female Prime Minister led the way by showing women that they can reach the highest office and do the job well. What what steps are the Government taking to encourage more women to seek elected office, and will she consider a similar (coughs) accolade to the Falkland Islands and celebrate a Margaret Thatcher Day? Mr Speaker, I personally would be very supportive of a Margaret Thatcher Day, but I think that is probably more a question for the Prime Minister than for myself. Um, but she, uh, my, my honourable friend will know that um, all parties actually do quite a lot to support women into um, elected office, and I think that that's something that we can agree across the House is a very important thing to continue. Before we come to Prime Minister's questions, I would like to point out that the British Sign Language Interpretation of proceedings is available to watch on Parliament Live TV. Now we start with questions to Prime Minister Gareth Davis. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, the whole House will have read the statement today from my honourable friend the member for Bridge End. And I know uh, that the House stands uh, with you and we will give you the support that you need to leave to live freely as yourself. Mr Speaker, I'd like to thank Donna Ockenden and her whole team for the compassionate approach she's taken throughout this distressing review of maternity care at Shrewsbury and Telford Hospital's NHS Trust. Every woman giving birth has the right to a safe birth, and my heart, therefore, goes out to the families for the distress and uh, suffering that they've endured. My right hon. Friend, the Secretary of State for Health, will be making an oral statement this afternoon, setting out the Government's response. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. While our focus is rightly on Ukraine, the Prime Minister will be aware of the great concern many people have across the Baltic states. So, can he outline the role the Joint Expeditionary Force can play in countering Russian aggression and improving defensive posture for our allies? in the Baltics. Yeah, yeah. Prime Minister. I, I thank him very much. And the, the, the Joint Expeditionary Force, or the JEF, is, a, is an increasingly important grouping of the uh, Nordic countries, the Baltic countries, uh, the Dutch and, and ourselves, who are committed to working together in an active way uh, to counter Russian uh, aggression and to support our Ukrainian friends. And we had a very successful meeting uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, and we'll have further such meetings in the course of the next few weeks. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I start by joining the Prime Minister in his remarks in relation to the Honourable Member for Bridge End? Yeah. Does the Prime Minister still think that he and the Chancellor are tax-cutting Conservatives? Yeah. Uh, yes, Mr Speaker, I certainly, I certainly do, because, I, I certainly do, because uh, this, is, uh, this is the government uh, that has just introduced not only uh, the biggest cut in, in fuel duty uh, ever, uh, but the, 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 biggest, uh, the biggest cut for, in tax for working people in the last... Ten years, uh, Mr. Speaker. Seventy uh, percent of the uh, of the of, of the per population paying uh, national insurance contribution will have a substantial tax cut as a result of what uh, the Chancellor did. And if you take together, yeah, what, what, they don't like it, Mr. Speaker. It's true. They always put up taxes. That's why. They love it. They love putting up taxes. Uh, but if you take together what we're doing with income tax and national insurance, it's the biggest tax cut proposed by my uh, right honourable friend, the Chancellor, for 25 years. Yeah. Cut the nonsense and, yeah. and, and, and treat the British people with a bit of respect. Yeah. Uh, let me take him through this slowly. Fifty, 15 tax rises, the highest tax burden for 70 years. For every £6 they're taking in tax rises, they're only handing £1 back. Prime Minister, is that cutting taxes or is that raising taxes? Uh, Prime Minister. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, I don't know where he's been for the last two years. Uh, but even, even, by the, even by the standards... Even by the standards of, even by the, yes, he has. Uh, even, even by the standards of Captain Hindsight, Mr. Speaker, uh, to, to obliterate, to obliterate the biggest pandemic uh, for the last century from his memory, to obliterate the 408 billion uh, that we've had to spend to look after people up and down the country, is quite extraordinary. And this is a government that is getting on uh, with reducing the tax burden wherever we can. Uh, what we are doing, Mr Speaker, there's, there's, one, there's, one, uh, there's one measure I, I think he should be supporting, and that's the health and care levy, uh, Mr Speaker, uh, to fund our NHS. That's the one uh, they oppose, Mr Speaker. Every other, every other tax rise, they're all in favour of. Mr Speaker, I can only hope that his police questionnaire was a bit more convincing than that. <laughs> This year, this year, this year, British people face the worst fall in living standards on record. 
While they're counting every penny, the Prime Minister is hitting them with higher taxes. But in 2024, when there just so happens to be a general election, they will introduce a small tax cut. That's not taking difficult decisions. It's putting the Tory re-election campaign over and above helping people pay their bills. How did, how did he find a Chancellor as utterly cynical as he is? What we have, Mr Speaker, is a Chancellor who took the tough decisions to look after uh, the UK economy uh, throughout the pandemic, who protected, who protected people up and down the land uh, with £408 billion worth of support, Mr Speaker. And, and by the way, if we listen to them, if we listen to Captain... Yeah, this is the truth. If we listen to Captain Hindsight... We would not have come out of we would not have come out of lockdown in July last year, Mr. Speaker. We would have stayed in lockdown over Christmas and New Year, Mr. Speaker, with the result that the UK economy would not be growing in the way that it is, and so we would not be able to make the investments that we now are. And under Labour, we would have to tax more and borrow more, and they cannot be trusted, Mr. Speaker, with the economy. Here's start. The tough decisions. Give me a break. We know, we know, we know, Mr Speaker, we know who those two always ask to pay. Income stealth tax, a tax on working people. Tuition fee raid, a tax on working people. National insurance hike, a tax on working people. All while oil and gas companies see unexpected bumper profits. A windfall tax would raise billions and ease the burden on working people. Mr Speaker, the former CEO of BP, Lord John Brown, says a windfall tax is justifiable. The current CEO says they have, in his words, more cash than they know what to do with. Why is the Prime Minister more interested in shielding oil and gas profits than supporting working people? Mr Speaker, it's a classic example of what Labour has got wrong uh, in their their period in office. Uh, The the oil and gas companies are now investing £20 billion, uh, Mr Speaker, in ensuring that we have long-term energy supplies. and I remember the 1997 Labour manifesto actually said that there was no economic case for more nuclear power. We are now having to make good the historic mistakes of the Labour Party by investing in our long-term energy supply. That is what we are doing. Everything that they are proposing would mean deterring investment, meaning higher prices for consumers and households up and down the land being worse off. Speaker, there we have it. They're the party of excess oil and gas profits. We're the party of working people. Mr Speaker, talking, talking of parties, talking of parties, Prime Minister, he told the House no rules were broken in Downing Street during lockdown. The police have now concluded there was widespread criminality. The ministerial code says that ministers who knowingly mislead the House should resign. Why is he still here? Hang on, 
on a minute, hang on a minute. Is this, has, has he just changed his position? I mean, we do we do at least expect some consistency from uh, this this human weather vane. It, it was it was only a week or so ago we were saying that I, I shouldn't resign. He's, He's got to make. What is it? What is his position, Mr. Speaker? Uh, we, of course, the, of course, the the the, the, Met must, uh, the investigators must must get on with their job. But in the meantime, uh, 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 let them, let, and we and they should. Let, in the meantime, in the meantime, Mr. Speaker, we are going to get on uh, with our job. And uh, what we are what we are focusing on is tackling the cost of living, uh, helping people, helping people uh, through the spike in fuel prices, the 9.1 billion uh, that the Chancellor has set out, but also, Mr. Speaking, doing the long... I've mentioned nuclear power, I've mentioned tackling our, our energy supplies, which Labour totally failed to do. What we're also doing, far more important perhaps even than that, Mr. Speaker, we're tackling illiteracy and innumeracy in our schools. Uh, and I think uh, we're investing billions in tutoring, uh, Mr. Speaker. That's what we're focusing on, and I think that's what the people of this country want us to focus on. Here's Starmer. Look, there are only two possible explanations. Either he's trashing the ministerial code, or he's claiming he was repeatedly lied to by his own advisers and that he didn't know what was going on in his own house and his own office. Come off it. He really does think that it's one rule for him and another rule for everyone else that he can pass off criminality in his office and ask others to follow the law, that he can keep raising taxes and call himself a tax cutter, that he can hike tax during a cost-of-living crisis and get credit for giving a bit back just before an election. When is he going to stop taking the British public for fools? Mr Speaker, this is, the, this is the leader of the opposition who would have kept this country in lockdown uh, and made it absolutely impossible. That, you know, he has zero consistency on, on any issue, uh, Mr Speaker, uh, but one thing we know about is he would like to take us back into the EU and take us back into lockdown uh, if he possibly could. Uh, th- thanks, thanks to what this government has done, uh, we have unemployment back down to the levels it was before the pandemic, the economy bigger than it was, and we have record vacancies, Mr Speaker. The difference between them and us is, is they want to keep people Mr Speaker, they want to keep people on benefits. We want to help people into work. And that's what we're doing uh, in record numbers. Uh, they want to raise taxes. We want to cut taxes. And that's what we're doing, Mr Speaker. Tackling, we're tackling illiteracy. They didn't give a damn, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, we're getting on with making this country, making this country the best place to invest. Last time I updated the House, Mr. Speaker, on the number of unicorns that we had in, of unicorns in this country. That's tech countries worth more than a billion dollars, Mr. Speaker. I said we had a hundred. I can inform you now, Mr. Speaker, that we now have 120. They don't want to hear it. Germany, that's more than Israel, it's more than France, Germany, Israel combined, Mr Speaker. That's what's happening under this government, that's what's happening because of the tough decisions we've taken. We take the tough decisions, we deliver, they play politics, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The UK government's work connecting 
rural areas like Bracken and Radnorshire to superfast broadband is going to become a lot harder tomorrow when the Welsh Government withdraws its matched funding for the scheme, forcing the cost for installation back onto homes and businesses in my constituency. Welsh Labour's decision means that my constituents will lose out as local authorities in England continue to fund the scheme. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that broadband is critical for the growth of the rural economy? And will he double his government's efforts to connect my constituents despite Welsh Labour letting us down? Uh, yes, Mr. Speaker, and uh, we're spending £69 million already uh, to support rollout of superfast broadband in Wales, and uh, I wish that the uh, Welsh Government had not withdrawn its uh, broadband scheme, but we will do our best, Mr. Speaker, to make up the difference as fast as possible. We now come to the SNP leader, Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. It's good to see the member for Bridgend uh, in the chamber this afternoon. I commend him for his statement earlier today. Mr. Speaker, last night, millions of families will have been desperately trying to figure out how they will possibly afford the £700 energy price hike that will hit them this Friday. Mr. Speaker, at the very same time, Tory MPs were gathering across the street for a champagne bash in the Park Plaza. We all know we all know that the Tories parted during lockdown <coughs> and now they're Mr Fabricant, Easter is upon us. I don't need you to ruin your Easter. So let's hear uh, uh, all of you. SNP leader Ian Blackford. Uh, can shout and scream when we're raising the Tory cost of living crisis, Mr yeah, Speaker, yeah. because we all know that the Tories parted during lockdown and now they're parting through the cost of living emergency. Yeah. Last week, the Chancellor got it badly, badly wrong with the spring statement, and ever since, the Prime Minister has been busy briefing against him, saying that more needs to be done. For once, I agree with the Prime Minister. So, if the Prime Minister really believes that more needs to be done, can he tell us exactly what he will order his Chancellor to do to help the millions of families who are facing a £700 price hike this Friday? Yeah. Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, uh, I, th- I thank him uh, very much. and uh, 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 I think he's in, in error in what he says about events last night, but he is, like me, a living testament to the benefits of uh, moderation uh, in all things, uh, <laughs> Mr Speaker. Uh, and uh, I, can ass- I can assure him... I can assure him that we are, we are getting that this week, for instance, uh, to get to his point, uh, what's happening actually is that the living wage is going up again uh, by record amounts. And thanks to what the Chancellor has done, uh, we are putting £9.1 billion uh, into helping people up and down the country. Uh, and what I might respectfully suggest is actually, uh, I think the, the Scottish Nationalist government, uh, with whom, as I say, we work increasingly well, I think the thing they could focus on uh, for the long term prosperity of Scotland is the educational system. Where I'm sad to see, where I, I'm sad to see, I'm sad to see Scotland's once glorious record uh, falling behind. Ian Blackford, what a load of absolute baloney! Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister is dangerously out of touch. Food banks are warning that people are having to choose their food based on whether they can afford the gas to boil it. Yep. Families are having to choose 
what rooms to heat or whether they can turn on the heating at all. Mm -hmm. Some in the Tory cabinet clearly believe that better weather means that they can happily sit on their hands and do nothing till next winter. They obviously don't get or don't care that in many parts of Scotland the weather will barely reach above freezing over the next week. Yep. The Chancellor thinks his £200 loan, which is forcing people into energy debt, is somehow a solution, but it clearly isn't. So before the Prime Minister and his Chancellor go off on their Easter holidays, will they at very least turn this loan into a grant and finally put some cash into people's pockets when they need it right now. Minister. I, I, I thank you, but of course we are doing everything that we can. The, the, the 9.1 billion, the cold, the cold weather payments, and he's right to, he's right to draw attention uh, to the problem, uh, Mr Speaker. And we are, we are making, uh, making a huge investments in supporting uh, people right now. And, uh, another billion, by the way, through the Household Support Fund uh, to help vulnerable, uh, help vulnerable families. But, uh, Mr Speaker, when he talks about the cost of energy, in, in Scotland. How absolutely preposterous uh, that the Scottish Nationalist Party uh, should still be opposed uh, to the use of any of our uh, uh, native hydrocarbons in this country, uh, with, with, the result, with the result that we actually have to, we, we, that the uh, Europeans are importing uh, oil and gas from Putin's Russia, uh, Mr. Speaker. It's totally absurd. Just for the record, it's National Party. Let's go to Mark Fletcher. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. From the publication of the school's white paper, one of my most important campaigns is to secure provision of quality post-16 education within the Bolsover constituency, where there is currently none. Young people in my constituency have to travel long distances at considerable cost to access their education. Will my right honourable friend meet with me to discuss how we can right this wrong for the young people of the Wellsover constituency and give them the education that they deserve? Prime Minister. Yes. Uh, I th thank him very much, and uh, he's a great uh, champion for Bolsover and for his uh, constituents. Uh, free subs and subsidised travel is provided to Bolsover students uh, travelling so far to two uh, of, these, uh, of the three excellent colleges that uh, are going to be offering T-levels uh, from 2023. Uh, but I will make sure that uh, uh, he gets a meeting uh, with uh, my right honourable friend, the Education Secretary, uh, to discuss further what we can do. And David. During the Second World War, my grandmother, like countless other people across our country, opened her home to evacuees, including two German Jewish boys. Over 70 years later, the British people want to shelter desperate refugees again. Two weeks ago, I was speaking to refugee families on the Ukrainian-Polish border at Medica. Some desperately wanted to come to our country. One elderly couple told me, however, they had been told that it was just too complicated. Now the government's own figures say the same. Paperwork is being put ahead of people. Yeah. Yeah. Mr Speaker, when wealthy businessmen from over 50 countries can come to the UK visa-free, yeah. why does the Prime Minister insist that a traumatised Ukrainian mother and child yeah. must first fill out a visa form? Mr. Speaker, I think we had. We, um, thank you very much, and um, he, he uh, and uh, he's right about the generosity of his country, and uh, and and he's right to draw attention to his own family's uh, generosity in, in this matter. Everybody, I think, is is pulling together the number of people who have 
come forward to offer their homes is, is, is incredible. Um, but I really don't think that he should, uh, he should deprecate what the, uh, the UK is offering. We've already given 25,000 25, people have already got visas, uh, Mr Speaker. We are processing 1,000 a day. 1,000 a day, and there is no limit, there is no upper limit to the number that we can take. And this is a country that has already been the most generous in taking uh, people from Afghanistan, the 15,000 under Operation Pitting, 104,000 applications from, uh, from the Hong Kong Chinese. Uh, this is a country that is overwhelmingly generous to people coming in fear of their lives from. Yes, it is, Mr. Speaker, and so, and so is this government. Johnny Mercer. Thank you very much, uh, Mr Speaker. I don't think anybody involved in partnering operations over the last 10 or 20 years can fail to be humbled by the extraordinary courage and commitment of the Ukrainian people in defending their country, aided and abetted by the lethal aid from this country, of which they are all appreciative of this Government and this Prime Minister being first out the door to deliver that. But would, would, my, would the Prime Minister agree with me that whilst others may now begin to tire, now is actually the time to double down on the aid that we give to Ukraine, that actually we might end up breaking a pretty poor Russian army and bring peace to that part of the world whilst consigning the likes of Vladimir Putin to the dustbin of history where he belongs. Mr Speaker, I think that is absolutely right. I thank him very much. I thank him for his own uh, bravery in, uh, in, in going to see for himself uh, only, the, only the other day. But, uh, Mr Speaker, yes, it is right that we should double down on, on uh, military defensive support in the, in the, in the way that we are. Uh, but, and, by the way, can anybody imagine a, a Labour government, eight of, whom, uh, eight of whose front bench voted to get rid of our nuclear deterrent? Can, can, can you imagine? Yes, they did. Can you imagine? Uh, recently, can you imagine them uh, doing the same? Uh, we, will go on with, we will go on with that, Mr Speaker. Uh, but what we will also do, uh, and I, I hope we have the support of the opposition in this, is make sure that there is no backsliding on sanctions uh, by any of our friends and partners around the world. In fact, we need now to ratchet up the economic pressure on Vladimir Putin, and it is certainly inconceivable that any sanctions uh, could be taken off uh, simply because there is a ceasefire. Uh, Mr Speaker. That would be absolutely unthinkable, in my view. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Households are experiencing soaring energy costs. We're in the middle of a global climate emergency. Against this backdrop, Norway can feed energy into our national grid at a cost of £1.36 per megawatt-hour. France pays 17 pence per megawatt-hour. Germany, the Netherlands and Luxembourg pay nothing to feed into our group. Can the Prime Minister then explain why Scotland's renewable sector has been punished with grid connection charges of £7.36 per megawatt hour? Mr Speaker, Scotland's renewable sector is leading the world and uh, I'm, I'm grateful to uh, all, the, the Scottish government for uh, the Scottish government for all the, the help and support that they are giving in, in developing that incredible resource uh, in the North Sea. I think that, that there is also a role, by the way, for hydrocarbons as we transition, uh, Mr. Speaker. But what we need to do is make sure that we have a grid. We have a grid uh, that enables us to take that electricity onshore and transmit it around the country. And that is what I will be setting out in the uh, British Energy Security Strategy, Mr. Speaker. 
Speaker. That is the investment, the long-term investment that this country needs and which, and which uh, the parties opposite completely failed to address. Greg Smith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last week, following a huge resident and parish council-led campaign, the planning application for a new mega-prison in my constituency was refused. But would my right honourable friend agree that with the proposals for that site being very close to where HS2 and East West Rail cross, this is a matter of fairness, whereby communities already suffering at the hands of the construction of big state infrastructure should not be asked to take more? And will he instruct the Ministry of Justice not to appeal this planning decision? Minister. Uh, well, I, 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 I thank my honourable friend who is a, a doughty campaigner for his, uh, his constituency. He has made an important point about a planning matter, about uh, which I do not think I should really uh, comment, but I am sure that uh, the relevant ministers will have heard him uh, loud and clear. Eric Lindon. Thank you, Mr Speaker. With the Government losing an estimated £4 billion to fraud in the furlough scheme, surely the Prime Minister should have tackled that fraud, especially when in his own party in North Tyneside, furlough was claimed for a p- member of party staff, even though he continued to work. Oh. Oh. Minister. Uh, if, if she's really saying, uh, Mr. Speaker, that we should not have rolled out the furlough scheme uh, at the speed that we did, uh, then I think everybody in this country understands that it was a, a, a heroic thing. And I remember uh, two years ago, Mr Speaker, two, they were yammering and clamouring for us to go faster. Uh, and, and we did, Mr Speaker. We produced a fantastic team. And yes, fraudsters uh, will be hunted down. We put another £100 million into tracking down fraud uh, in this country. £23 billion a year were lost under Labour in fraud. James Sunderland. Mr Speaker, thank you. I was delighted to learn this week that 37 of the 39 state schools in Bracknell constituency are now graded good or outstanding. Will the Prime Minister join with me in thanking our fantastic teachers, staff, governors and pupils? And does he agree that the new education white paper offers a blueprint for our schools that we can all be proud of? Yes, I do, Mr Speaker. It's a fantastic white paper. Over two million tonnes of edible food is wasted on farms and factories every year, and funding was introduced in 2019 to cover the costs of getting food to charities to reach those in need. However, the Prime Minister will know his government have now cut that critical funding to zero. Mr Speaker, funding for food waste diversion helps support community projects like, for example, Three Hills Community Supermarket in Glasgow. So can the Prime Minister explain why he is ignoring calls from Feeding Britain, Good Food Scotland and Fair Share to continue this worthwhile initiative and instead cutting off a lifeline to those struggling with the cost of living crisis? Prime Minister. Uh, I, I thank you very much. I, I think he's referring to uh, the strategy that we have for, for food waste. As far as, I, as far as I know, we continue to support it, but I will be uh, happy to update him uh, by letter. Lucy Allen. 
very much, Mr Speaker. Can I thank the Prime Minister for his earlier remarks concerning the Donna Ockenden report into avoidable maternity deaths and injuries at the Shrewsbury and Telford Hospital Trust? The report makes the devastating reading, the more so because women's voices were ignored. My constituent, Hayley Matthews, begged staff for a C-section throughout her 36-hour labour but was forced into a natural birth. Her son Jack arrived blue and floppy, and within hours of his birth he tragically died. Will the Prime Minister join me in offering heartfelt sympathies to all the families affected, and also grateful thanks to the 1,862 women uh, who shared their experiences with the Ockenden Review to ensure that maternity care is safer, kinder and more compassionate for the women that come after them. Prime Minister. Uh, I, I thank my honourable friend for her question. I think everybody uh, will thank the, the women concerned for uh, taking up the issue in the way that, uh, uh, that they have and, and will extend our, our heartfelt uh, sympathies to uh, the, the victims and their, and their families and for, for what they've suffered. Uh, it is very important that uh, people get the answers that they deserve, Mr Speaker, but also uh, that we have the, the right approach uh, to, uh, to this issue in, in the future. And, and that's why we're investing very substantially in uh, maternity services and also, of course, uh, very substantially in, uh, in midwives and in our NHS altogether. Thank you. Prime Minister, every day I hear from more and more of my Rotherham constituents who are struggling to put food on the table to keep their lights on, to fuel their cars. The Office for Budget Responsibility estimates the government's measures will only offset falling living standards by a third. This is the biggest financial squeeze since the 1950s. Prime Minister, don't blame Ukraine. Don't blame Covid. This is down to your government's policies and your political choices. I do agree that uh, people are facing uh, a very tough time at the moment, and uh, it, we've, we've got to do everything that we can. I don't agree with her analysis, but I think that the, the causes are certainly to do with the, the, the uh, inflationary impact of the world coming out of, of COVID, and the energy price spike is, 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 is at the root of it. And, and what we are doing, uh, Mr Speaker, is to uh, help people with a universal credit, which we've lifted by £1,000, help people with uh, the living wage, uh, which is going up now by a record amount, Mr Speaker, and, and cutting taxes on, on, on working people in the way that, in the way that we are. Uh, but, of course, we can't uh, do everything, uh, Mr Speaker, right now. And uh, what we will do uh, is ensure that we have a stronger economic uh, performance and we have people in work. And the most important thing is that we have uh, people getting into work now in a way that wasn't possible, certainly wouldn't have been possible if we'd stuck to the, uh, the policies that were proposed uh, by, by the Labour opposition. Uh, and that's why we have a strong economy. Uh, and, that's, and that is the best recipe. Better to be off benefits and into work. And that's what we're doing. Thank you, Mr Speaker. One of my earliest campaigns was to reopen Stafford's Shire Hall, so I'm delighted that this iconic building is finally set to reopen this summer. So can I thank the Government for providing £1.6 million in funding to create a hub for small businesses in the Shire Hall. 
but can I also ask my honourable friend to help regenerate the rest of Stafford Town Centre and our high streets to help level up the West Midlands and support our local businesses? Yeah. Prime Minister. I thank my honourable friend for her fantastic work to reopen uh, Shire Hall. She's a, a, a passionate campaigner uh, for, for, Stafford, uh, for Stafford, and Stafford was awarded over £14 uh, million pounds, uh, lately, Mr Speaker, through the Future High Streets Fund. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My constituency has one of the highest rates of child poverty in the entire country, with too many already struggling between heating and eating. The government's recent real terms social security cut will now push even more families, children, and pensioners into desperation. Does the Prime Minister agree that the biggest squeeze in household finances since records began does not come out of the blue, but is due to Conservative economics and the notion that while some right have up, the sir. pleasure of partying, the rest of us should suffer? No, Mr Speaker, we're absolutely uh, dedicated uh, to levelling up across our, our entire country and making sure uh, that we reduce poverty. And, and that's why I'm proud that there are now half a million uh, fewer kids actually in workless households, uh, 200,000 fewer kids, uh, 200,000 fewer in poverty, uh, Mr Speaker, and 1.3 million uh, fewer in absolute poverty. And, and the way we've done that, and the way we've done that, the way we've done that, Mr Speaker, is by helping people into work. And we're going to go further, investing in more work coaches, uh, in massively increasing our training budget so that people get the skills that they need. That's our approach, uh, Mr Speaker, helping people by getting them into work. Sir Robert Butland. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Today's announcement by our serving United Kingdom judges of their withdrawal from the Hong Kong Court of Final Appeal is now the right decision, and I support it, as does my right honourable friend. Does he agree with me that on this sad day for the people of Hong Kong, and at a time when the international rule of law is under unprecedented challenge, it is for us here in Britain to stand up for what is right, to be resolute in the face of tyranny, and to make sure that the international rules-based order is defended at every opportunity? Prime Minister... I, I thank my right honourable friend very much, and I, I know how uh, passionately he's campaigned on this issue uh, himself. And I, I can tell him uh, that, I, and I want to thank the judges in, in Hong Kong's court for everything that they've uh, been doing. But I think that they've evidently concluded that the, uh, the constraints of the uh, national security law make it impossible for them to continue uh, to serve in the way that uh, they would want. I appreciate uh, and I understand uh, their. Uh, their decision. Uh, it is vital that we all continue uh, to make our points to the Chinese, as I did uh, in my conversation with President Xi uh, the other day, uh, about uh, freedom in Hong Kong and about the treatment, uh, the treatment of the Uyghurs, and we will continue to do that. Catherine West. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Gas and electric prices and bills are through the roof. They're just about managing are no longer managing, exactly. coming to surgeries, queuing at food banks. Yeah. Last week, the government had a golden opportunity to tackle this. Yeah. Why the devil didn't they take that opportunity to yeah. do something and relieve the pressure on our constituents? Yeah. Prime Minister. Mr. Mr. Speaker, I, I, I understand the, the pressure that people are under, but the best thing we can do, rather than uh, endlessly taxing more and borrowing more, uh, is
is, is make sure that we support people through this tough time, which we are, but also ensure that we have a strong and growing economy in which we get people into work. So we're, so we're cutting the cost of, of energy, but we're also taking the long-term decisions, which the party opposite uh, failed to do, to invest in our energy uh, for the future. Sir Roger Gale. Mr Speaker, today's updated government figures show that of 28,300 applications submitted under the sponsorship scheme by people displaced in Putin's war, just 2,700 have been processed. Could my right honourable friend please tell the House how many to date of those people have actually arrived in the United Kingdom? Will he give his support to my noble friend Lord Harrington? to cut through the Home Office red tape, simplify the application process and get people into the country. Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, we're processing a thousand a, a day and uh, I, 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 think that the, I think that the country... 25,000 visas have already been issued, as I just, as I just told the House, Mr Speaker. Uh, almost 200,000 families' homes have, have opened uh, their arms to Ukrainians coming in fear of their lives. And there is no limit on the scheme, Mr Speaker. I think uh, we can be incredibly proud of what the UK is doing. Patricia Gibson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. A cornerstone of the last Conservative manifesto was a guarantee that the basic state pension would rise by either 2.5%, the inflation rate or earnings growth, whichever was highest. Instead, from April, the state pension will rise by less than half of the current inflation rate. How does the Prime Minister explain this abject betrayal of some of the most vulnerable people in our communities who are squeezed by rocketing energy and food prices on the one hand and the miserliness of this government on the other. Prime Minister. Actually, Mr Speaker, what we've done is through the triple lock protected uh, pensioners uh, so that uh, their incomes as a result of the triple lock are £720 higher uh, than they would have been if we just uh, relied on inflation. As it is, uh, their incomes uh, continue to increase uh, with inflation. And, And they've gone up, Mr Speaker, faster and further than those who are in work. We look after elderly people and we always will. John Barron. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On Monday, the Foreign Secretary agreed that we needed to expand our soft power capabilities in these uncertain times, and yet the Government is imminently about to make a funding decision that could see, may see, the closure of British Council country operations and a reduction in its international footprint. Will the Prime Minister now intervene to ensure this doesn't happen, given that I know he understands and appreciates the important work the Council does? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm very happy to meet my honourable friend uh, on this on this issue, and I could, but, I mean, he's campaigned on it uh, many times. Uh, but I can tell him that the, the British Council, for which I have a huge uh, regard, uh, has received uh, massive grant and indeed loans uh, to allow, allow them to continue uh, their activities. Thank you, Mr Speaker. You'll forgive me if I I may start, but given the Prime Minister's uh, preferences for both Fancy Castles and Peppa Pig, uh, he's very welcome to come and visit uh, Zog Playland at Warwick Castle. (laughs) In Warwick and Leamington, as across the country, uh, cost of living crunch is really serious. Energy bills, as we've heard, looking to double by the end of this year. Food up 10 to 15 percent by year end. Fuel already 22 percent up uh, year on year. It must be hard for the Prime Minister to stay in touch with financial reality, given that donors and friends pay for flights and holidays and many of his bills. And we also have, we also have 
a $200 million man chancellor, a $200 million chancellor who's so out of touch, he's so out of touch, so out of touch, he's contactless. Mr. Speaker, the public believes. You will be sitting down. So please. Uh, uh, I hope we've come to the end of the question. So out of touch is contactless. Mr. Speaker, the public believes the government. Shut up and be quiet. Behave yourselves. I hope that's the end of the question. I think the Prime Minister's got the gist of it, because I certainly am. Prime Minister. Uh, can, I, can I say to the Honourable Gentleman, much as I admire his, his style, I think it would be better as a sort of light essay in The Guardian. What we're doing, Mr Speaker, is, is tackling, the, tackling the cost of living uh, by dealing with the spike in energy prices and making sure that we take the right long-term decisions to take this country forward, which right decisions are that party opposite completely shirked. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I welcome what this government is doing to help where it can with the cost of living crisis. Yeah. But in North Devon and across the South West, we have a housing crisis that needs urgent action. Will my right honourable friend meet with me to better understand the severity and complexity of our housing shortage and potential steps the government may take? Yeah. Yeah. Prime Minister. Uh, my uh, honourable friend is absolutely right. And, uh, uh, she's right about the, the need to provide local homes uh, for local people, and uh, we, we totally understand that. And, I'm very, uh, and, and that's why uh, we're building a record number of homes, by the way, Mrs. Speaker, in spite of all the difficulties, in spite of all the difficulties that we've faced. And uh, that's why we've introduced higher rates of stamp duty on second homes, Mr. Speaker. Uh, re- remove the second homes discount, and we're using uh, 11.5 billion to build 100. 80,000 affordable homes across the country. It is always the Conservatives who build affordable homes. It's, it's true, and it's Labour who talk about it. Final question, Sir Olney. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Last Friday, it emerged there had been an oil spill in Beverley Brook, a river which flows through Richmond Park to the Thames. Black waste oil and iridescence can now be seen along 13 kilometres of the watercourse, posing a serious threat to the fish and local wildlife. The Environment Agency are investigating, but they are understaffed and underfunded, while also battling against water companies over sewage discharge. Will the Government commit to strengthening the powers of the Office for Environmental Protection, as the Lib Dems tried to do through the Environment Bill, so that it is able to hold the Government and other public authorities to account over environmental damage in the same way the European Commission was able to? Prime Minister. I I know what's behind her question. Uh, um, Mr. Speaker, it's a desire to return to the jurisdiction of the, of the European Union. Uh, what we want to do is make sure that we use our landmark Environment Bill to continue to improve the quality of our rivers, and that's what we're doing. We'll just let the Chamber clear before we start the statement.
We're now going to come to the statement. I call the Secretary of State for Health, Sajid Javid. Mr Speaker, with permission, I'd like to make a statement on the Ockerden Report. This independent review was set up in 2017 in response to concerns from bereaved families about maternity at Shrewsbury and Telford Hospital NHS Trust. Its original scope was to cover the cases of 23 families, but since it began, sadly, many more families have reported concerns. Due to this tragically high number of cases and the importance of this work to patient safety, early conclusions were published in an initial report in December 2020. We accepted all of the recommendations.